This Sunday, we have the story of the parting of the Red Sea, the exodus from the land of Egypt, and the beginning of the journey towards the promised land. It's a wonderful story that's just filled with very pertinent lessons and applications for our own life. In some ways, some of the most important applications that we really need to learn as God's people. Law and gospel, we often, like the Israelites, complain when God leads us into the wilderness, into difficult situations. But we need to remember that God's good and gracious purpose is to set us free from sin in order to live to him and in order to live with him in the promised land. If we trust him, we will see our enemies, namely sin and Satan and death, destroyed. And we will one day cross the Jordan to a land flowing with milk and honey. As Moses is going to tell the children of Israel, just wait and you will see the wonderful works of God. You'll see the salvation of God. And that's true for us as well. That if we trust in him and follow where, where he leads, he often leads us into places that look bad, look like the wilderness, but it's for his own gracious purpose. And we will see his power at work in our lives. We will see his salvation. We begin with Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that way was near. But God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. We see many examples of faith in these first verses of our lesson. First of all, we have to remember that Paul tells us that the cloud is Jesus. Okay, the New Testament says this is Jesus. Uh, so this is Jesus leading him. The, the people are following Jesus. Well, the pre-incarnate son of God, we usually don't you know, use the name Jesus until he's born in Bethlehem. But the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, is the one who is going before them in this pillar of fire and in this cloud. So the people are following Jesus, but the thing is they're following him the wrong way. Notice that the Bible makes it clear that the, the easy way, the, the way that they should have gone if they're going up to Canaan, was what's called the way of the Philistines. That is the road that led from Egypt up to the land of the Philistines, up to the land of Canaan. And this road ran right along the Mediterranean Sea. So you can find a map and show the kids uh, the the normal, the, the way that everyone would think, okay, you're going to go to Canaan. This is the way you should go. You go northeast out of Egypt, up right along the Mediterranean Sea, and you come very quickly in a very short time to Canaan and the land of the Philistines. That's the, the way the road was. That's the way that everyone would think, oh, that's the way you should go. But God led them the opposite way. He led them southeast toward the Red Sea, and the people followed. Later on, the people are going to complain, but at this moment, at least, they show their faith in God. Many of them probably realize this was the wrong way. I mean, 
not all of them probably, but many of them probably knew which way would have been the right way and the normal way. But nevertheless, they follow God. God has a purpose. He says what that purpose is. He wants to show his power a few more times. He wants to test and harden them in the wilderness to prepare them for battle in the land of Canaan so that they will learn to trust him. He has a purpose for them, but they may have complained. They may have thought, oh no, this isn't the right way to go. Yet they follow Jesus. Very often when we follow Jesus, he leads us into places that we might not think are the best way to go. We might not think are the best way for our life, but he has a plan for us as well. He shows us that in scripture. They left Egypt about 600,000 men, uh, the Bible says. So that this would have been men of fighting age. It's just the way that they numbered people back then, right? What's important is how many fighting men you have. That determines who you can go to war with. So when they talked about 600,000, it's talking about 600,000 men of fighting age. So that probably means about 2 million people altogether is a lot of people. It's been about 430 years since the time of Joseph, uh, and the people had come to Egypt at that time. This procession that left Egypt was probably about 12 miles in length then. This is a very great number of people. Notice not only the act of faith in following Jesus the wrong way into the wilderness, but also they brought the bones of Joseph with them because Joseph had made them promise that they would carry up his bones with them. You know, at the time that Joseph died, Joseph could have easily instructed them to, excuse me, to take his bones back to Canaan and bury them with his fathers there. That's what happened when uh, Jacob died. His bones were taken back to Israel, to the land of Canaan. Sorry, it wasn't the land of Israel yet. And buried there with his fathers. Joseph could have instructed them to do the same thing, but he didn't. Rather, Joseph shows great faith in the promise of the Lord. He says, someday God is going to lead the people out of Egypt. Bring my bones with you. He wants to be part of that procession. He wants to be a part, even though he's dead, he wants to be a part of that leaving of Egypt that God had promised. And so this was was an act of faith on the part of Joseph and also on the part of, uh, of the people. They remembered this is 430 years later, yet they remembered their promise and they did as Joseph instructed. They bring the bones of Joseph with them out of Egypt and, and Joseph goes with them. We continue in chapter 14 verses one. Oh, one more thing. The 430 years some people might say, well, there's a conflict there between there and between uh, the book of Acts when Stephen is talking about how long it was before God visited the people and brought them out. But the dates are probably starting at different points, so it's not an irreconcilable difference. This is starting with at the time that Joseph goes down into Egypt until the time that they leave. So 14 verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Piharath between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. 
And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea between Piharath before Baal-Zaphon. So God wanted the Egyptians to be confused. He didn't want the Israelites to be confused. He told them why he was leading them at, in this circuitous route, this route that looked like the wrong way. But he did it on purpose so that Pharaoh would see it and be like, oh, they're lost in the wilderness. It'll be easy to overtake them and, and bring them back again. God wanted to show his power over Egypt one more time. And we're going to see how he does that. The uh, Bible tells us exactly where they were with regard to the Red Sea. You know, it mentions these cities, Pi Haroth uh, and Baal Zephon. The problem is we don't know where those cities were. So we have no archaeological evidence of where exactly those cities were. And, and that's true uh, throughout these next chapters of Exodus when it tells us they camped in this place or that place. We don't have any clue where any of these places are. We are, are guessing, really, at where these places might have been. And so it doesn't really help us to know exactly where it was that the Israelites went and where it was that they crossed the Red Sea because we simply don't have the archaeological evidence to know exactly where these cities that the Bible mentioned are. Let's continue with verses 10 to 18. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we are told we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and, you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, whom, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Israelites did not really understand God's ultimate aim. They show faith in following Jesus into the wilderness, but now their, their faith is shaken when they see the mighty army of Egypt coming behind him, and they cry out to the Lord. They complain against the Lord. They doubt the, the Lord knows what he's doing. Oh, it would have been better for us to, to stay in Egypt. They really don't understand, and they're not looking ahead to what God has promised them. They're not keeping their eyes focused by faith on the goal. Instead, they're focusing only on their immediate danger and their immediate hunger and their immediate problems. How often doesn't this happen to us that we're so fixed on the immediate problems of this life that we forget to lift up our eyes through faith and look ahead to the salvation that the Lord has promised us? At the place where they are believed to have crossed the Red Sea, the Red Sea is about five miles across. We'll come to that in a minute. Notice, especially Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. This is such a key verse. 
Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. This is such an important lesson to learn from this list. This verse is repeated in many different forms throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we saw it a couple weeks ago in our Sunday service. We had the psalm, uh, Be still and know that I am God. That's the same lesson that Moses is talking about here. Instead of complaining about the Lord, instead of assuming that you're doomed and looking at and being overwhelmed by the problems of this life at this moment, wait on the Lord and you will see his salvation. It may take some time. And we have to sometimes be patient through very difficult hardships. But know that the Lord is with us. And the, the children of Israel could have seen that. They saw the pillar of fire and the cloud, which was the presence of the Lord. They knew that the Lord was with them and that his power is with them. We don't have that visual rep representation, but we do have the sacraments, which reassure us in much the same way. We taste and, and feel and touch them uh, to know that the Lord is with us. Be patient and wait and know that the Lord is with you and you will see his mighty acts. You will see his salvation in the midst of trouble and tribulation, wait on the Lord. We know that if the Lord leads you into the wilderness, it's because it's part of his plan for your salvation. We continue the verses 19 through 31. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into a dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. As Moses said, stand still and you will see the salvation of God. You will see his power and his mighty works at hand. And here, of course, we do see that. We have to be careful. We have to be very careful when we're reading this to read it carefully. For example, verse 21 talks about the wind, the strong east wind, all that night made the sea into the dry land. If we're not careful, we might think that, okay, the wind came and it took all night for the wind to dry out the ground and that the Israelites passed through the next day. But that's actually not what happened. Uh, if we keep reading later on, we realize that what, what's going on here 
Well, let's let's back up and start at the beginning. We'll go through uh, go through it by point by point. So the Egyptians, the Israelites are trapped. They have the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army coming down upon them from the other side. The pillar of cloud that was going before them by day moves and it now becomes two things at the same time. It becomes a pillar of fire to the Egyptians. Now it's evening, right? It becomes a pillar of fire. To, sorry, to, not to the Egyptians. It becomes a pillar of fire to the Israelites, but a cloud to the Egyptians so that the Israelites have light that night, but the Egyptians have darkness and cannot see. The then God tells Moses to hold up his staff, the same staff by which uh, which Moses used to do those mighty works to, to show the Lord's power. Uh, to Pharaoh, uh, he turned it into a serpent and he caused his hand to be leprous and uh, do those other things, those mighty acts in Egypt. Now he holds over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts. So this is in the evening. As soon as the Red Sea parts, the Israelites start to pass through. And the Israelites, the sea is parted all that night. That's what it means in verse 21, all that night. The sea is parted by the red, the wind all that night. And the Israelites are crossing during the night by the light of that pillar of fire. In the morning, the Egyptians now try to cross after the uh, Israelites. As the Egyptians are crossing, the Lord looks upon them and troubles them so that their wheels start to come off their chariots and their wheels get stuck and their chariots get stuck. The Psalms, tells, uh, the Psalms tell us also that, that the Lord troubled them with thunder and with lightning so that they are afraid because it's thunder and lightning. There's mud under their feet. They're getting stuck. They realize that they are fighting against the Lord and they are full of fear. They attempt to flee, but it's too late because their their chariots and, and other things are stuck. They're stuck in the middle of the Red Sea. The Israelites are safe on the other side and God tells Moses now to hold his staff over the waters once again. When Moses does that, the, the sea returns to the normal seabed and all the Egyptians are drowned. Not one of them is saved. God provides a mighty deliverance and shows his power not only to the Israelites but to the Egyptians and he makes certain that the Egyptians will never follow the people of Israel or trouble them again, at least in that generation. Of course, uh, many years later, the Egyptians do trouble the Israelites again, but not for, for a long time. Following this, of course, in chapter 15, we have Moses singing a song of praise to the Lord. And I'm not going to read through that. We're running out of time here. Make sure you read through it yourself. But one thing to note and really bring to the attention of the children is how this song focuses on God and what he has done. It's a song of praise that Moses sings describing the mighty works that God has done. So many of the new praise songs that you hear in contemporary Christian music are focused on how I am praising God. And a lot of the songs just say that I praise God. And, and so they're really focused on, on me and my praise of God instead of focusing on God. And you could even open the hymnal, maybe choose some hymns beforehand, or maybe even ask the kids, oh, what's your favorite hymn? And compare the hymns in our hymnal to this song of Moses 
and even to some of these contemporary Christian music songs. Not all of them. Some contemporary Christian music songs are good and focus on God and his deliverance as they should. But a lot of them, unfortunately, focus on me, on my faith, on my praise. Uh, so, you know, opening our hymnals. Okay, what does this teach us? What does the song of Moses teach us about God? What does this hymn in our hymnal teach us about God? Where is the focus? Is it on God and his deliverance or is it on me? And there might be a few hymns in the hymnal that have the wrong focus. Uh, but most of them, I think, are... Are, are pretty good so <clears throat> it's a it's a good opportunity to talk about that difference as what a hymn ought to do and what a good hymn ought to do and what a bad hymn ought to do the crossing of the red sea is compared in first corinthians 10 to our baptism uh first paul talks about they were all baptized into moses and into god through uh the the cloud and and through the the red sea and so we also are baptized into christ and become one in him just as the red sea marks the their leaving of the egypt and their deliverance from slavery so our baptism marks our leaving of slavery to sin and our deliverance from sin, death, and the devil. Uh, we pass through the waters into Christ. That baptism teaches us now to live to Christ and not to return to the sin and the slavery that was that we were enslaved, the sin that we were enslaved to before. The children of Israel had two choices, and only two choices. They could follow the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. They could follow that cloud into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land, or they could go back into slavery into Egypt. Those were the two choices they had. Uh, there really was no third choice. What were they going to do? Go live by themselves in the desert, in the wilderness? Not an option, really. So their options were to follow Christ into freedom or to return to slavery but notice that freedom doesn't mean that i get to go and do whatever i want uh being set free from sin means that we now follow and serve christ if we leave christ then we're not willing to follow him and following jesus means following him often into the wilderness then we are going to be slaves again once to sin. And notice that even as they left, the Egyptians followed after them. And so even as we leave our life of sin behind, very often our sin attempts to follow after us and it needs to be drowned. Martin Luther talks about drowning it in daily in our baptism, daily using our baptism to drown our old man, to say no to sin and to follow Christ. So just as the Egyptians were drowned in the, in the Red Sea, so our sin and temptation need to daily, daily needs, those enemies need to be drowned in our baptism through repentance and faith so that we follow Christ into the freedom. Now, freedom in Christ means serving Christ, and freedom in Christ means following him into the wilderness, but it also means to remember what is God's aim. His ultimate aim is not to lead us into the wilderness and lead us there. His ultimate aim is to lead us into that promised land and so keeping our eyes focused on that which is to come any questions or comments feel free to give me a call or send me an email the lord's blessings on your sunday school lesson